This is the third week in this series of messages titled on the cover of your bulletin there, White Flag. And as Jason mentioned, it's a, it's a series of messages about worship. What is worship? What does it mean for us uh, to worship God individually and as a congregation? This morning, I'm uh, on a message from Romans chapter 12. If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can open up to Romans chapter 12. We'll begin by reading the scripture. Romans chapter 12. Uh, in a message that talks about redemption, making worshipers out of sinners, redemption. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Why don't you stand to your feet as we read these words, or as I read them. Follow along in our text this morning, Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace of God given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace of God given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is in giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. You may be seated. In in my middle uh, years of college, probably for about two years in my college career, I lived in an apartment um, in Rochester and in the city of Rochester. And above me, it was a kind of an up and down thing, there was a, an older woman that lived there. She was probably, I'm gonna say, maybe in her late 70s, pushing 80, she was a widow. And I got to know her, you know, small talk. I'd help take her groceries up. Uh, the, the, she lived upstairs, which was probably backwards, but she uh, lived there first. And I helped her, you know, a few times, and we'd small talk. And before you know it, uh, I was having dinner uh, at her house. Uh, and I did that probably for a whole year, I'd say maybe almost once a week, Monday, you know, she just would have dinner, and, and uh, I just uh, was, was grateful to do that, and she had lost her son. She only had one son. Uh, I don't know the story. Uh, I don't remember the details if she told me. Um, you know, as a, she had lost him as a young person, and I think she saw a little bit of him in me. Uh, so we, we had a nice relationship for that year or so that I lived there. But a couple years after I moved out of there and said my goodbyes to her, I moved to Dallas, Texas, where I uh, started a seminary uh, graduate program uh, in theological studies. And at the end of my first year, those are the graduate students or those who went through graduate school may appreciate this, um, I, you know, I got to the end of my first year of a four-year program and I was, I was looking at Torrance. I know he did a few. To, uh, I, was, I was broke, right? I mean, I was just, I was not only out of money, you know, I had just enough money to kind of start my program, 
but I was uh, out of options. You know, I tried this and tried that, and of course I was working, and I was kind of at my wit's end, and I decided, even though the school year was over, I was going to stay throughout the, you know, the months of the summer, even though I really did not have means to start my second year of my program, but I was just sort of, you know, at, a, at, 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 wits, at my wit's end, just at a loss for what to do and a little embarrassed. Near the end of that summer, I got a phone call from an attorney in uh, Rochester that told me this woman uh, had passed away and she had left me in her will $11,000. And with that money, um, I not only was able to change my decision and, and stay in school, but as I thought about it, that not only changed that decision, it really changed the course of my life really for the next really three years, really. To, to finish that program. But I saw in that gift, in that sacrifice, not only her, you know, gift, not only her sacrifice, but I saw in it God's sacrifice and God's gift to me because God had called me, so I had told myself and my family uh, to pack up my life and to move to Texas and to start this program. And I was convinced that he had called me to do it, but I had run out of money. And in that gift, I think God was saying to me, Rob, um, what I've called you to do I'm going to provide the resources for you to do it, right? If you will just learn how to trust me. And that one year uh, opened up uh, trust for another four, and it really did change the course of my life at that time. My challenge then, those many years ago, is very similar to my challenge today, and that is how to depend on God at greater and greater levels in my life. The essence of this very famous passage, I'm sure you've heard a message on Romans 12, one and two before. That's really the essence of it, right? The sacrifice of Jesus, the Apostle Paul is saying here, brought the old ways of knowing God to an end, right? Everything has changed. And we no longer, we don't approach God anymore based upon our best efforts or our best sacrifices. But remember, the whole worship system of the Old Testament, that's the way it was done, right? There was a series of prescribed sacrifices that were brought in a very careful way to atone for sin. But the sacrifice of Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, brought all of that to an end. And Paul is saying, listen, we no longer approach God based upon our best efforts, based upon our personal sacrifices. We cannot earn God's favor. We cannot earn God's um, atonement for our sin. Jesus Christ paid that for us all. Now we approach God with one thing and one thing only, with gratitude and thankfulness for what he has done for us, right? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, underline this, in view of God's mercy, right? Offer your life, your, 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 your proper worship. It's because of what God has done for you. What the Apostle Paul is saying here is this, thank you is all you need to say to get God's attention, right? You want to know worship 101 in the New Testament? It's right. It doesn't get any more complicated than this. 
Thank you is all you need to say to get God's attention. I think we have a problem. I have a problem. You have a problem. Certainly people who aren't in church uh, don't go to church, don't have a relationship with God. We have a fundamentally wrong framework for living. And this is what the Apostle Paul, especially as Christians, is trying to change. We have this appeasement mentality. I don't think it comes from the religion of our parents, the religion of our child. I think it's human nature. And whether you're a churchgoer or not a churchgoer, whether you're a child, whether you're a student, whether you're an adult, we have an appeasement mentality. We think that we need to earn God's favor. We need to earn God's blessing. And we, just like we do at work, just like we do in relationships, we bring that into our faith. But it is a fundamentally wrong framework for living. And I think many of us, I'm talking to church people at nine o'clock on a, on a Sunday morning, we, what we profess, you think about your own life, what you profess, what I profess I believe, and how I live out my life don't off always match up, right? We say that about other people, but it's true for us too. You come like on a Sunday and listen to people like me say to you, listen, God knows you personally. Kurt, Colette, Lynn, uh, you know, uh, uh, Janet, uh, Ernie, whatever. God knows you personally. I say that to you. People like me say that to you. And God loves you deeply. You've heard that before. But we live our lives, practically speaking, like he hardly knows our name, right? I saw, I went with my sister and brother-in-law to a movie um, this weekend the other night, uh, this week, um, The Glass Castle. I don't know if any of you uh, have uh, heard of that movie, read the book, true story uh, of a woman, family that grew up in the 1970s or so, very dysfunctional family. Um, uh, the father was an alcoholic. The mother was this kind of eccentric artist. There was probably mental illness in the family. They moved many, many times all over the eastern part of the United States, running from the law at times. It was a very dysfunctional thing, but there's this moment that really stuck out to me. It's the woman who wrote the book, Jeanette Walls, who, who, it's her story, but she was the middle of four kids, and there's this moment. She was only 13 years old or 12 or 13 years old, and she, and, and she brings her brothers and sisters, three, two sisters and a brother, and she says to them, listen. She kind of calls them together. She says, we, mom and dad are no longer, they, they're incapable of taking care of us. Imagine. They can't do it. And she said, we have got to make a decision right now, right, little 13-year-old girl, that we have to take care of ourselves if we're gonna get through this life. And they all reach out and grab each other's hands and don't pray, but at this kind of this moment that they are committed to take care of themselves because their parents are incapable of taking care of them. And in a manner of speaking, as I watched that scene in that movie, I think that's the way a lot of us in our faith live our lives with God, right? What we say we believe and how we live our lives are two very different things. And what the Apostle Paul is saying here, thank you is all you need to say that gets God's attention. That's what he's saying, right? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, that's a Bible way of saying, in view of what he has done 
for you, you need to make an offering. This is a new idea of worship. You need to offer yourselves in gratitude to God and to others. He's saying, listen, the only life acceptable to God, the only offering acceptable to God, right? This is a series about worship is a life that is lived not out of our own resources, but out of a growing dependence on God. That's what he's saying. It's not that God is opposed to effort. That's not what I'm saying. But opposed to an effort that I'm going to, listen, God can't take care of me. I need to take care of myself, right? It's a life not lived opposed to effort, but opposed to an effort apart from God. And let me tell you the two telltale signs in your life or in my life if you're really not worshiping God the way the Bible calls us to out of gratitude. Two things. One is anger and the other one is anxiety. I see the two biggest telltale signs in my life that I'm not really living out of gratitude for what God has done for me. In your life that you're not really living out of gratitude in view of God's mercy for what God has done for you is you have problem with chronic anger either at yourself or at others or you have chronic issues with anxiety which means you're trying to manage your life on your own as if it depends on you. That one gift that woman, it said to me far beyond what she did, far beyond her sacrifice, God said to me, Rob, listen, I am going to meet the needs in your life and this is just the beginning if you can learn how to truly depend on me. It, listen, let me tell you, kids, students in the room, thank you is all you need to say to get God's attention. It's not what the world teaches. It's not what's reinforced in our classrooms. It's not what's reinforced even in our families. And it's nothing to do with how good your parents are because it is human nature to think, right, that you've got to do it on your own. We've got to figure this out on our own. It's human nature. It's counterintuitive to believe that God is gonna take care of your life. But unless this truth, here's the essence of this message, Thank you is all you need to say to get God's attention. Unless this truth strikes you at your heart and re-strikes you at your heart, it's a way of life, you will never experience life the way God intends. We grow as our worship grows and the heart of worship, that's what Paul is saying, is gratitude. The heart of worship is gratitude. Thank you is all you need to say to get God's attention. Second point to this great passage. Our sacrifice is a daily devotion in the real world. What's he saying here? What is worship? If worship is not that I need to, you know, uh, a pound of flesh, if worship is not earning God's favor, if worship is not me about get, finding out the best I have and say, God, will you accept it? You know, the, 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 uh, the, the Wizard of Oz kind of religion that many of us have. You know, go get this, go get that and bring it back to me and see if I'll accept it, right? That's how practically many of us live our lives. If that's not the case, if our real worship is responding in gratitude, then what does it look like? And this is what Paul says. You know, it, it, he takes a very important concept 
which would be true for the people in his day especially, right? The, the, the much of the church were, were Jewish people. And when they thought about religion, they thought about the Jewish religious system. And at the heart of the Jewish religious system, many of you know this from reading your Bibles, the heart of the Jewish religious system was what? Sacrifice, right? That's what it was all about for a thousand years. From the, you know, the smallest infraction of telling a white lie to a capital crime of murder or, or rape or, or whatever the case may be, there was a prescribed sacrifice that was given. And what the Apostle Paul is saying, he's saying, listen, there was, a lot of, there was a lot of anxiety to say, listen, the temple's gone. You know, the, 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 the special clothes are gone. The special diet is gone. It's like you've taken everything that I thought it meant to worship God and you've gotten rid of it. And Paul says, oh no. There is still a sacrifice at the heart of worship. But listen to this. It's no longer a ritual, right, where an animal is brought to a an altar, right, and that animal's life is taken in place of your own, right? That's what was happening on the sacrifice. The animal was killed, and that life replaced yours. He said, listen, it's no longer that way because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. This is what it means. He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In other words, he became the, all the other sacrifices pointed to him. Right? There doesn't need to be a proxy sacrifice anymore. But what he's making reference to in this passage, if you're a note taker, write down Leviticus chapter one. We're not gonna turn there. But he's making reference to one of the sacrifices in the Old Testament. There were five major categories of sacrifices. It's the first five chapters of the book of Leviticus that some of us haven't read in a while, but it talks about the sacrificial system. But there was only one of those sacrifices. And as it turns out, it was the most important sacrifice, the most repeated sacrifice in the Jewish system. Leviticus chapter 1, it's called the burnt offering or the whole burnt offering. And let me just tell you very briefly the significance and why am I telling you this? Because he's alluding to it here as he's redefining worship as Christians in the New Testament. The, the, old, the, the whole burnt offering of all the sacrifices offered in the Jewish system was the only sacrifice, right, that belonged completely and totally to God. What does that mean? Some of it wasn't saved for the priest. He got to take home some of the meat. Some of it wasn't given to the worshiper. If you remember, they would take home some of the meat. All of the other sacrifices, that's how they worked. But the whole burnt offering was put on the altar and every part of it was burned and completely consumed. And it represented two things. Complete surrender on part of the worshiper to God and complete acceptance by God of the worshiper. That's what it represented. And Paul is saying, listen, he takes that very interesting, important offering. He says, listen, God still has sacrifice is still at the heart of worship. But, this, but in place of a animal that was broken for you, we have a living sacrifice. And the living sacrifice 
which is not given to gain God's favor, to gain God's acceptance, to earn points with God. No, it's, it's your life and my life given out of gratitude for what God has done for me. And it says, listen, what, I, what I'm calling you to do in, in brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, I want you to be a, this is a contradiction in terms, a living sacrifice. In other words, I want you to go into your classrooms where you go to school. I want you to go into your offices where you work. I want you to go into your neighborhoods where you live, and I want you to live a self-sacrificing quality of life before other people, right? This is what it means to be like Jesus, right? Who, although he had the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but took upon himself the form of a servant, right? He exercised, he said, I'm gonna serve you. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. This is what worship means in the New Testament, right? This is what worship means in the New Testament. Our sacrifice is a daily devotion in the real world, right? It's a willingness to give your time to other people in this room who need it, to give your money to other people in this room that need it, like that woman, for reasons beyond, I'll never know because I, I, she died, I couldn't say thank you, that changed the course of my life, right? My, I, was, I, I mentioned this to you guys, um, if you were here last week, I had this great conversation with my family last week, a couple weeks ago on vacation, and, and a couple of my family members are not Christians, and we were, the whole point of this conversation, we were talking about, how can you believe in God, Rob, in a world that you claim God created that is so broken, right? So this was the, lo- this was the subject of a three-hour conversation on a vacation. But somewhere in the middle of that conversation, probably because of what's going on in the world, we got talking about re- the refugee crisis. And um, I just brought, came to mind, I mentioned to someone, I said, you know, Rochester has this thing called the Rochester International Academy, where because all the refugees that come into this city, they, they, they've been all over the school system. The Rochester City School District decided to take all those students and to bring them to one school, Marshall Downtown, some of you know this, and whether they're, you know, uh, uh, seventh graders or first graders or high school students, they're all in one school and they're from all over uh, parts of the world, right? That's the common denominator that they're, they're refugees. And we're just talking about, and my sister who was sitting in this conversation, she's a school teacher for the Rochester City School District, she said, you know, I would, I would, I'd love to teach at that school. And my, one of my brothers said, why? And she said, well, because my sense is, I've never been there, is that these students who have come from all over the world, they really want to learn. And I've heard that they're really hungry to want to learn. And I would love to be in a classroom with kids who really want to learn, by inference, she's saying, the kids that I teach don't always really want to learn. And my brother said, this is so interesting, he said, well, maybe where you are, maybe those students need you more. And I thought to myself, it was one of these moments I thought, God, (laughs) if, if you stay long enough in the conversation, 
the truth, someone else will speak what I've been trying to say for three hours, right? And I said, do you realize what you just said? You want to know how God, we should worship a God who's created such a broken world? How could he be loving if he created such a broken world? I said, maybe it's because the purpose of this life is that you and I grow a heart and learn how to love people in need, right? That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Sam mentioned about, you know, the, 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 um, the REACH initiative. I don't know if you heard, multi-millions of dollars to renovate this place, our, 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 our 70,000 square feet, and we want to build some more because we want to create spaces and places where people, students, young and old, adults can meet God, okay? That's why. And we're not done. But let me say this, as important as that is. The first place people need to encounter Christ, the first place people need to be invited is in the context of your life, right? I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, because of what God has done for you, thank you is all you need to say to get God's attention, but if that strikes your heart and re-strikes your heart and begins to really motivate you to really satisfy the deepest needs in your life, then you ought to be liberated to go into the world, not to get, but to give. And when you do that in where you live and where you work and where you play, let me tell you something, that's what makes Christianity attractive. It's not the music it ain't the preaching. All these are important. It's people who live the gospel out, sinners just like me, just like you, in front of other people who demonstrate a quality of love that nothing else can do. That woman's gift, I hope I see her in heaven and I'll go right up to her and I'll say, listen, you changed the course of my life. You changed the path of my life because you made that kind of, you checked my name on that box. Someone you hardly knew, um, what you gave to me changed my life, right? This is what worship is. If God's love is at the center of your being, your love for others will be at the center of your daily life. Right? That's the great truth. Let me say it again. If God's love is at the center of your being, that's what Romans 12, 1 is, striking your heart, then your love for others will be at the center of your life. Let me close and ask you some questions. When was the last time you made a genuine sacrifice for another friend in this church, small group, who knows? kid, student, like that video. When's the last time you made a genuine sacrifice, not just of your money, maybe of your time, of yourself for a student, a fellow student, for someone at work who you could avoid but whose life is falling apart, or for a neighbor, someone in your community, someone where you live, right? When's the last time, hopefully it's not too long ago, where you, out of gratitude for what God has done for you, you've decided to serve, in Jesus' name, someone around you. Because when you do that, when I do that, 
we preach the gospel and we demonstrate in how we live what's at the heart of the gospel. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying to you and he's saying, this is your true, watch what he's saying. How do we live without a temple? How do we live? Let me tell you, what's a church building today? It's a room with a bunch of chairs in it. You say, well, why is that the case? Because the real worship doesn't happen here. Yes, we come to get fed. Yes, we come to be encouraged. Yes, we come to pray as we just did together. It was awesome. I love those prayer moments we had. We come here in a sense to, to be strengthened. But this is not the altar. There's no altar here. There's no sacrifices here. This is not where worship takes place primarily. It primarily takes place in your life. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's, it's, it's a paradox. He's, he's making a, a clever point. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship, right? This is your true and proper worship. Last point, the essence of this passage, restating, your purpose is found in a life of self-giving and total dependence on God. And that's really what the gift verses say, verses three through eight, right? Don't think too highly of yourself. Get over yourself or get over yourself that you think you're such a failure. It's not about you. It's about the grace that God has given you and what he's called you to do and what he's called me to do. Isn't it so interesting? We've been given gifts according to God's grace. If it's this, then do it. If it's that, then do it. If it's this, listen, the, the last three, last verse. It's a, this is where, you know, Nike got its, uh, it's, it's uh, just do it, right? The essence of what Paul is saying is, listen, you need, to, you need to see your life in light of what God has done for you. And when you live out of that amazing gift that God has done for you, right, he's, his body was broken, right, for you. He loves you. And if that strikes you at the heart of who you are, then go into the world and live it out, right? This is how we reach this community and this city. Stand with me, let's pray. I want to read something to you as we leave. As I was... Like most pastors, I get up on, on Sunday and, and, and prepare, you know, think through my talk, but I, I was also read a passage of Scripture. just happened to be my passage for a day in my Bible reading, the 26th Psalm, and it was this, this beautiful verse that God reinforced for me what I wanted to come and say to you today. This is what it says, just two verses. Test me, Lord, and try me. This is David. Examine my heart and my mind, for I have always been mindful of your unfailing love and have lived in reliance on your faithfulness. Right? This is what he's saying. David says, you want to know the secret of my success? I have always been mindful of your unfailing love. That's the secret of the Christian life and have lived in reliance on my own good works. 
on my own intelligence, on my own ability to get out of a jam. I've always lived in reliance on your faithfulness. Father, we come to you this morning. I just think of everyone in this room who, have, who like me, live in a broken world, who, like me, struggle from, with, with, uh, from in, within our own hearts uh, and, uh, to, and within struggles outside of our lives to be faithful to you. Lord, help each one of us here to begin with a new appreciation of your great love for us. Help us to know as we walk out of this room today as a Christian, as a a forgiven follower of Jesus, thank you is all we need to say to get your attention. And help us to be liberated, to give of ourselves, to give of our time, to give, to look for opportunities to serve and to sacrifice for others that our lives might be a picture of the gospel to a broken world. In Jesus' name, amen.